Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. Once you think about Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled that you can join us today. We are going to be having a great conversation talking about all of those kind of crazy moments in our life where we need to make some really tough decisions regarding dementia and how do we work our way through all of that. Um, But before I introduce our guest, I always like to just uh, give a couple of shout outs. First is to the Mark Arneson Band. They are just so wonderful and let us use their opening music called Clarion Call. And you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms if you like. Also, um, if you are new to Alzheimer's Speak, some of you might not be aware of uh, why we started. And bottom line, my own mom lived with dementia for 30 years. And I just felt like we needed to connect with more people regarding services, products, and tools that are out there. And that is our goal. So maybe just maybe you can be our next guest as well. I want to do a couple of shout outs. One is if you haven't checked out Alzheimer's Speaks website, please do so. We've updated that. In fact, we have one page that lists all of our free uh, resources that you can access. So please head over there. And if you go to the public events, I do have some uh, free public events coming up. One is uh, on Halloween. If you are living in Minnesota in the Minnetonka area, uh, come for our screening and talk back of a timeless love that is sponsored by the Dementia Friendly Minnetonka Group. November 11th, we're going to be doing a webinar with the volunteers for seniors talking about living with dementia. And if you've got some questions, you can post those ahead of time. And then also on December 8th, we'll be doing a live program uh, with artist senior living in uh, Woodbury, Minnesota. And that one, I'm going to be discussing family gatherings, events, travel, and kind of getting from that frustration and discouragement of getting together to joyful moments you know how do you adapt and make change so that everything goes smooth we are going to hear from the foot bar walker which is highlighted by the adaptive equipment and caregiving corner and we will be right back with our guest i love the foot bar walker and let me tell you why it is the option for my toolbox that i've been waiting for Let's be honest, there are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. 
Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Okay, so we are back, and we are going to be talking with gerontologist Rachel Wonderland, who is internationally recognized as a dementia care consultant. She owns her own senior living consulting company, and she runs a popular blog and podcast both by the same name called Dementia by Day. Rachel is the author of the new book, The Caregiver's Guide to Memory Care in Dementia Communities. Well, Rachel, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Um, I remember meeting you at a conference. I think it might have been down in Alabama or Indiana or one of those uh, states. And it was just such a pleasure um, listening to you speak. And um, kind of guide the audience through so many tricky situations. So I'm thrilled you're on the show. Welcome today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. To start off, I always like to ask everyone if they've been personally touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with us, that would be really helpful. Yeah, I've actually never really had anyone in my life with living with dementia. Um, I just found that I really had a passion for working with older adults and in particular people living with cognitive impairments. So that's how I got into this space. I got my master's in gerontology in 2013 and have essentially been in the space since and really even before that was always just loved geriatrics in general. Yeah, me too. I, I was always drawn to to the elderly. Well, let's talk. Let's just kind of crack the nut wide open and talk first. How do families figure out what the heck is the right care for a person with dementia? And does it vary depending on the type of dementia that they have? It does vary. But what I always encourage families to look at is what is best probably personality-wise for the person living with dementia and the family. So if you have someone who's a big extrovert, like myself, um, I would not fare very well in a home care environment. So I would do much better if I was able to move to a senior living community and be with other people around my age or living with the same kinds of cognitive impairments that I have. Um, Depending on the type of dementia, the only big difference is I would say if somebody is very um, sexually aggressive or just physically aggressive, if they have a type of frontotemporal dementia, like a behavioral variant FTD, that may be something where they're not a good fit in a senior living community. But otherwise, uh, I always would suggest looking at adult daycare, looking at assisted living that has a dementia care um, wing or hallway or other building, and then assessing from there. Okay. So when people are, you know, going through this whole process, I think a lot of times they just assume one community is kind of like another because, well, it's a memory care. And so is this one. Are there, are there differences between them that you see or, or do they stick pretty close to a fine line? They are very different depending on the company. Some companies 
don't really have a dementia care program. I work with senior living companies to help them build programs. And I found that, you know, not everybody even has a program. So sometimes companies are coming to me when they don't have a dementia care program. They offer quote unquote memory care, but they don't actually have any real programming plan for the residents. Mm -hmm. I I found that. So I'm glad to hear that from you too, because I think it really is confusing for for families out there to, to know the questions to ask or what to look for you know, now that they can be back in a live tour again, it, it's, uh, it's just so overwhelming when people get that diagnosis and, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you find out you don't know it. And, and then that's usually a kind of a raw slap in the face there. Uh, let's talk, you had mentioned, you know, adult day and, and a couple other things. What are some of the care options that are available to, to assist somebody um, living with dementia beyond a nursing home? Because I know so often, a lot of times people think of dementia and they think right away nursing home is the only option, but there's a lot in between that, uh, that section there. It depends somewhat on where you live, um, but a skilled nursing facility is a very specific type of care. It is typically for people who have more physical needs So uh, a lot of people living with dementia live in assisted living and assisted living, again, depends on your state, what they call it. Generally, most states call it assisted living. Um, And then there is a type of, we call a locked unit or a secure unit that would be their dementia care part of their building. Maybe they have a standalone dementia care that they offer for residents. Okay. Is, is there any difference in, um, you know, someone calling themselves a, a dementia care versus a memory care unit? No, I like to say dementia care just because not everybody with dementia has a memory problem. And I think it's a bit of a misnomer. It makes it sound like we're helping to care for somebody's memory and we're really not. Um, we're not really looking to improve somebody's memory at all. We're looking to help them continue to enjoy their life and make the most of it. Okay. Um, you know, you had mentioned skilled nursing. And again, some people don't know that term. So that's the same as a nursing home then? Yes. A skilled nursing facility, a SNF, SNF mm-hmm. is the same thing as a nursing home. Okay. Because uh, I think so often, I remember when I first went out, I mean, I'm familiar with the terms and stuff now, but when I, I was first looking for my mom, there was a lot of stuff that people just use their their jargon that I think families don't always right and so it's yeah it's really important too to find I think um, a community that's going to speak your language or educate you on theirs so that you've you've got a good communication base you know on that now another question I know that I I get a lot of of, uh, people asking me is well, what's the cost to these things? And I, I would imagine that's going to vary throughout the country and throughout the world. Um, but can you give us any, any ideas? Because one is families are always worried about the cost. And then two, of course, is who the heck's going to pay for it? <laughs> How's that happening? Yeah, assisted living does tend to be pretty expensive. It is private pay, which means the you know Medicare, Medicaid are not going to be able to help. Um, and it totally depends on the place, but I'd say most probably start around the $6,000 a month mark, um, mm-hmm. that I have seen across the board. 
Okay. And then for like memory care or skilled nursing, how do those work? Well, memory care, that would be the 6,000 a month mark that I'm talking about. Okay. So, so, um, dementia care, memory care, whatever you want to call it is licensed as assisted living. Okay. So, uh, that would, that kind of to clear that up a little bit. So, um, that it would be about the 6,000 a month mark. I don't know about just pure assisted living. I don't really, uh, work in just non-memory care. Um, skilled nursing would probably be about $10,000 a month, but Medicaid, uh, and Medicare do help with this. So sometimes you'll see people who, um, do not, are not able to afford, mm -hmm. uh, assisted living. They transition into a skilled nursing facility or, or quote unquote, a nursing home. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, yeah, the terms are, uh, they just overlap so much out there. Um, and, and they've changed over the years, too, in terms of what people call themselves, which I think makes it even more confusing. Very confusing. Yeah. To the general public. Um, now, is there, is there help that people can get, you know, so one of the things I know that some places have like a waiver system where they can get some assistance where they maybe normally wouldn't be able to. Are you familiar with that and how that works at all? So that's actually a Minnesota thing. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and you're in Minnesota, right, Larry? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's actually a really cool Minnesota program that I didn't know about until I worked with a company in Minnesota. It, it really depends on your state. So mm -hmm. generally speaking, no, there isn't really a lot of help, which is a big problem because we have more and more aging people and the cost of senior living is crazy. So um, there's going to have to be something done about that, just like the cost of education in this country is insane. Um, the cost of senior living is crazy as well. So th there's going to have to be some major shifts mm -hmm. coming here real soon, uh, probably just federally um, to make these things more affordable. Okay. Yeah. I, and like I said, I, I know I hear about that, but uh, and again, every state is a little bit different. And I know California, you know, uses their, what is it, Medi-Cal out there. So they have a little different verbiage than yep. what the rest of the country does. So everything we're saying kind of take with a grain of salt, because you got to figure out what it you is. You got to research. Yeah. yeah. You got to research your, your state, unfortunately, which really does not make it easier. No, no. I know here in Minnesota too, we have a senior linkage line that people can call and that can be helpful just as a base in terms of what's paid and what's not and what are amenities. Um, and you can get that in, in a print form or they can, you know, send you to the, to the resource directory itself. And I'm not sure if that's in every state, um, but it's, it is again, such a, such a need um, for a lot of handholding in this process, because it's so overwhelming, uh, you know, to, um, to figure this all out. Let's discuss a little bit about some of those really difficult kind of questions that families go through with their loved one as the disease progresses. So um, what I'm going to talk about is driving. And I would imagine you hear this a ton from people that you consult with, just like I, I hear it all the time. When do you know when it's time? And when you think it's time, then what the heck do you do with that? How do you approach it? So I always tell families if they've been thinking about it, it's probably time 
meaning if they've been thinking about moving someone into dementia care, it's probably time. If they've been thinking about taking the keys, it's definitely time. Uh, if you wouldn't want that person driving the car with like their grandchild in the car, then they definitely shouldn't be driving. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the big that's the big thing. Um, when it comes to taking the keys, there's a lot of ways to to do this. Um, but one of the easiest ways is to disable the vehicle and say that you were going to take it to the dealership or, you know, dealership or um, a mechanic to get it fixed and then just never return it. Mm-hmm. Um, but really at that point, you need to start looking at care for this person. Um, you know, if they're not even really safe enough to drive, they're not taking care of some of their activities of daily living, you know, bathing, eating properly, uh, getting up, getting dressed. These are all things where it's, it's time to consider a different lifestyle situation. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think too, you know, I've heard people do a lot of different things from taking the keys away to getting rid of the battery, to giving the car to a grandchild, or like you said, ending up selling it, but saying that you've taken it someplace else and then not returning it. Um, now, what about like testing? Because people a lot of times get pushback from their loved one um, saying, hey, I'm perfectly fine. Um, have you have you dealt with people actually going through a testing procedure or talking to the doctors or even the police on this? I um, so 99% of my clients are senior living companies, but I do uh, you know, a great deal of, I have a lot of content, my books and everything are for families. So, um, but what I did before uh, I got into consulting for senior living companies was an internship back in like 2012, where I tested people for different causes of dementia. I did psychometric testing. So with the testing, it's always good to go through the battery of cognitive tests but it is not mandatory. Meaning if it's going to be a real trial and tribulation to get them to cognitive testing, I would not force the issue. If it's just going to cause more strife, um, it's really a cost benefit analysis. Like, is it going to give you the information that you need? And if not, then let's not cause a bunch of stress trying to make it happen. Mm -hmm. I just had somebody call me the other day on that. What do I, what do we do with with my parent, you know, my, my mom is saying this isn't worth us putting them through. And I'm not quite sure I'm in the industry, I'm kind of leaning towards that. And I, I pretty much gave, gave the same advice as well. It, it, it really is about when you're looking at quality of care, you know, that right. whole, whole comfort um, piece. The other thing I wanted to mention with um, driving and, and, you know, taking keys away and things like that, can be really tough is, you know, approach the topic earlier on when the person can still be part of that conversation in, in terms of, I found this really helpful and I, I would love your thoughts on this, but just having them either write themselves a letter or a lot of them nowadays are just doing a video um, to say, no, when it's in exactly what you said, when I don't feel safe um, driving my grandkids in the car, then it's time for my keys to go away. And they all say, I don't know if I'll remember that I wrote that letter or that that's me in the video. 
but they're hoping that it will at least reduce the stress on the family in terms of making that decision that they were in on that. What do you think of, of doing something like that as a family? I don't see that working um, at all uh, because really that's, that's the, that's them trying to prove, you know, like the person they're, they're cognitively able to create the video at the time, but mm -hmm. when they're not cognitively able to create the video, they're also cognitively not able to understand it. So I have a feeling that's going to cause some serious stress watching that video. They're going to be like, wait, what the hell? Like, when did I record this? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't foresee that going great. That to me is kind of just like another way of people trying to prove to somebody with dementia that they have dementia, which mm -hmm. really is never the goal. So um, getting that person to admit that they need help mm -hmm. probably won't happen. So instead, unfortunately, this is why they call it the family disease. The family has to find a way to get mm -hmm. the care without the permission necessarily of the person with dementia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I guess the, the the video and stuff typically is has been initiated by the people with uh, the disease saying they want to be part of that decision. I, I don't think it's played out where any of them have had to utilize that at this point but you know we we talked about a lot about you know would they recognize and they said maybe not but they were really really concerned about alleviating some of the stress on the family for making that decision and so a lot of it was the reminder to the family that you know when I was cognitively able to have this conversation I, I was in agreement with this and um, again, there's so many family dynamics that come into play right. in all this. It gets it gets complicated quick. How about the decision to get help? Um, you know, one of the things uh, you know in the house. So uh, you know, some people are living alone and might not have a, a spouse or a care partner with them. Others may, and you know, the care partner just might need a break. Um, and same with the person living with dementia. But yet there seems to be a lot of resistance initially of, I don't want a stranger in my house. How do you deal with that? Um, again, it really comes down to, you know, making, making it happen uh, regardless. I like to try to get people to say, okay, well, you know, I need this person here to help. They're going to clean the house. They're going to, you know, blaming it on us another reason why they're there not to quote unquote take care of the person living mm -hmm. with dementia okay um let's see and then in terms of transitioning into you know a, a care community when do you think people should start kind of touring and checking checking out what's available if they've been thinking about it it's probably time that that's always the answer so that could be you know, a year in, that could be two years in, that could be, um, uh, that could be five years in, it totally depends on the person and the family. Ideally, before they progress too much into the disease process to really benefit socially from from being there. Yeah, I, I really agree with that. And I think that um, people don't always see the social benefits but, you know, my mom lived in a nursing home for 14 years and, you know, 11 of those were really, really good. And it was because she was social and she was engaged and, and she, she fit in. 
And, um, you know, the last three were more difficult because she had progressed so far and that social interaction wasn't as great, though I think she felt some comfort by just being able to recognize probably staff voices and basic routines and, and things that couldn't be communicated in those, in those later time periods and things. Right. Um, now I, you know, I used to sell real estate for 25 years prior to stepping into this. And I would always encourage families to get tours prior to them thinking of the need coming just so that they would get educated and see that what they thought places were like probably aren't really what they are. Um, and, and again, back then, that was a long time ago. Um, but a lot of people just thought everything was dark and dingy and everyone was in a wheelchair and nobody could communicate. And I mean, it was a pretty much a, a negative view. What do you think about people getting out there kind of in front of feeling the, the frustration or the concern of maybe it is time? Um, I would definitely recommend checking out my third book. Um, because it's all about this, this concept of when to move somebody, when and how to pick the right place. Because there's so much to look at and, and try to decide on that, um, you know, even summing it up. And that's why I always say, if you've been thinking about it, it's probably time. Because it's so hard to sum up um, this complex thing for everybody. Because it's going to be a different situation kind of for every every family. I also have a I have a lot of content about this on my site, but I also have uh, what I call an e-kit, which is a downloadable thing called when do I move my loved one to memory care? Because this is something that I get asked all the time. Um, it, it, just something that people are really stressed about and, and trying to, to deal with. Oh, that's great. Now, your book, again, is called Caregiver's Guide to Memory Care in Mem- and Dementia Communities. I love that yep. idea of the e-kit for people to be able to check that out. Now, another question that I always hear a lot from people is dealing with, let's say couples who have been married, you know, 50, 60, some of them 70 years, and then having to be separated. Do you have any advice on how to deal with that? Because sometimes as much as they feel the need, um, you know, they grew up in an era where, you know, tell death to us parts, not really realizing that, you know, caring could actually kill them before the person with dementia dies. Um, we hear that story a lot. How do you, you know, what are some recommendations there? Uh, if the, I think that really depends on the partnership, because sometimes I've seen people move together into senior living and it's not a good fit. Like the one person doesn't have dementia, the other person does, the person with, without dementia is trying to kind of control the day-to-day of the person living with dementia. So it can get a little tricky. Um, I always say, you know, it, it's a case by case basis, but one thing you could do is the person living with dementia moves into the dementia care side of the building. And the person who does not have dementia moves into the assisted living side of the building so that they can see each other. But the person, uh, you know, with dementia is able to get the stimulation and care that they need. Yeah, I think that's great, great advice. Again, that can get pricey in terms of of people's situations. Um, And like you said, every 
every scenario is different and not everybody has a, a, a great marriage, even if they've been together for as long as they've been. Um, right. These answers aren't going to be magic bullets to fix lifelong situations. And I think sometimes families think that they will. Um, and the other thing that I've seen too, and I, I get a lot of questions on this is, you know, as uh, for some people with dementia, their um, personality might totally change and they can't figure out why is this person acting like this now when they never, never did before. Um, maybe becoming more sexually active or, um, you know, their choice of, of words has changed significantly where they never would have said that, um, never heard mom or dad talk like that in their life. And now they're dropping the F-bomb all the time. Um, one, how do families deal with that? And, and how do communities deal with, with those situations as well? In senior living communities, we're definitely used to that. So it's not really a problem. With families, I always just kind of, you know, tell families, just remember that this person is not exactly the same person from before. You know, this is a, bra- a group of brain diseases. It's not that they want to say these things. It's not that they want to act this way. You know, dementia has, has changed, has changed some things about them. And sometimes that's very hard for people to come to terms with because it's a little scary. You're, you're used to something and you're seeing somebody totally different occasionally, not always. Usually the filter goes away, but most people's personalities remain pretty intact. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, great. Well, now I want to make sure that we give people your contact information. Now they can get your book um, we've got the link there again. The name of the book is Caregivers Guide to Memory Care and Dementia Communities. And I would imagine if they go to your website, there would be a link there too. Um, oh, yeah, correct. And yeah, plenty of links. <laughs> okay. Plenty of links. So, you know what? I just realized here I have your Instagram accounts, your Facebook, and your uh, which are both dementia by day. And then your YouTube channel is under your name, Rachel Wonderland. But I don't have, for your contact information, this is kind of funny, um, I don't have your personal website down here. Um, I need to get oh. that added. So can you give me that so our audience yeah. has that? It's rachelwonderland.com, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-W-O-N-D-E-R-L-I-N.com. But honestly, if you Google some semblance of my name all pop up i'm pretty uh well filtered on on google so if you google me you'll find me (laughs) if you google dementia by day you'll probably also find me okay sounds good well is there anything that we didn't cover rachel that we should no i think we uh i think we covered a lot of ground i think yeah i think we we did a lot (laughs) okay well i appreciate your time with us today and again everyone is, you know, out there thinking about memory care and and dementia communities. And it sounds like your book would be a wealth of information. And again, I I would be personally one just to recommend get it before you need it. So you you've got a better understanding, because then it's just going to be one more thing to go through when, you know, if you go into this crisis, um, situation. And so often I think families wait until it is a crisis situation. And then you really, everybody feels out of control 
and that's not good for anyone. Um, so, you know, plan ahead, um, just get yourself educated, take the scary out of it, you know, by getting informed. I, I, I just think that there is uh, a lot of beauty in, in knowledge <laughs> and uh, putting things into place, realizing again, like you said, every journey is going to be a little bit different. So, you know, not everything is going to apply, but you, you don't know what path your journey is going to take. So um, gathering that information, um, getting connected uh, maybe to communities in your area that have support groups and things too ahead of time uh, can be really helpful as well for, for both of you. Definitely. So, so thanks again, Rachel, for being with us. Um, appreciate it very much. And you can go to her website, rachelwonderland.com. And again, there we've got listed her Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, along with uh, a direct link to purchase that book. So thanks, everyone. We will talk soon. Bye now. Thank you. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.